Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principled Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. I, I, I love the reference. Uh, the, for those you, of you, you who are into pop culture right. in, the, in the 70s and 80s, you'll understand exactly what that's I right. meant. Uh, <laughs> and all I can say is spaghetti Eddie and uh, that's right. Frankenfurter reigns. Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I didn't spend, I didn't spend my nights down at the drive in for nothing. You know, uh, that's saying? right. I, I saw, <laughs> I saw that movie. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's, it's the Rocky horror picture show, which is an absolutely awful movie. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't suggest that anybody in our listening audience actually go out and go watch it. Yeah. If you're going to sit in your, I, in just, your I'm living re- room, I'm just reliving some of the dark days of a misspent youth. Yeah. <laughs> If you're going to sit in your living room and watch it, it's dumb. I mean, it, El Stupido. But um, it is a B movie in the biggest capital letters of B movies that best, are out there. At best, it's a B minus movie. It's B, B, B it would be more movie. like uh, uh, maybe a C. It, it may be two Ds set on top of each now, other. But why has why has everybody seen it? Well, the experience was that they showed it in theaters every weekend. Okay, and in some places, deep, deep, deep fans did live recreations. Oh, not just some cases. Oh, well, I I know one for sure, which was at the um, Grandview Theater. Yeah, yeah, there was. Grandview? Now, I saw it out at uh, uh, Graceland Shopping Center. Yeah, but Graceland, yeah. Um, people would actually dress up like the characters in the movie. They do a midnight showing of the movie, right. and they would basically reenact every single line and every single scene That's of the right. entire, including all the musical numbers. Oh yeah, in full costume. Yeah, that was probably more authentic than the costumes in the movie. Yeah, well. <laughs> But anyhow, it, well, I wasn't starting that off and leading in no. with that because we wanted to talk about uh, a uh, horribly bad a, a cultural er, early mistake. A cult, yeah. cult flick. <laughs> uh, although I, I do like cult flicks, I'll, I'll just get I'll be quite honest with you. That's one of my you know secret little uh, things is I, I like I like watching the schlocky, stupid, you know, horrible. You well, want to cringe I, with the acting? Barry, kind, I, kind I've of had people say, "Have you ever seen this movie?" <laughs> Yes, it looks horrible. And I go, oh, it's worse than you can imagine. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you have to go see it because it's so bad that it's good. Okay, we're living in, in that, that movie. kind of, in that movie right now, <laughs> or in a movie similar to that. Why I said that, Chuck, was because sometimes when you're explaining to your children and or your grandchildren about how things were in certain times, they can't grasp it. Okay, when we start talking about cassette tapes and eight tracks, really hard for a lot of kids to grasp. But when we start talking about analog, they live in a digital world. <laughs> yeah, they don't know analog you know, from nothing. You, you yeah. know, when we start talking about long division, they're talking about, well, which function is that on my calculator? Yes. You, so we've lost something in our culture. But every once in a while, because culture's kind of cyclical, Things come back around. Fashions come back around. Fads come back around. Uh, phrases even come back around. Our problem right now is the thing that's coming back around is a word called malaise. 
Oh, Do you yes. remember Malays? Yes, from the seventies. From baby. the seventies, baby, yeah. uttered by a sitting president of the United States at the time, one James Jim, Earl Carter. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Well, whose fault was the Malays? Uh, let's go all the well, way back. <laughs> Nixon, Nixon and Ford. Yeah. Well, okay. Nixon and Ford, that's and before what, them, LBJ. That's so what Jimmy from, John, oh. from Johnson and the Great Society programs. Well, to to uh, detente and the opening to China with Nixon to Ford's just total well, mismanagement of everything well, led to Jimmy Carter. But Jimmy said it was all it was all it was all Ford, Ford and Nixon. Oh, of course he did because it's easy for a, a, a sitting administration who's basically fumbling the ball and watching things fall around their ears to blame the previous administration. Right. Okay. It's it's very simple to do that. Well, it's, I can it, still... and, and in some cases. There are some elements that, yeah, you could say, yeah, okay, if they hadn't done X, Y, and Z, or if they had done X, Y, and Z, then this would have changed this landscape a little bit and, and had maybe had a different outcome. But the problem is, if the thing was working when they took over the office, and now it's not working after they've had, say, oh, 100-plus days to uh, write right. a lot of executive orders and create chaos... Well, you know what? It's kind of hard to blame the previous administrations on your ineptitude when you are the one creating the malaise. And, Chuck, what we have now isn't just the word malaise. We have the socioeconomic environment that spawned Jimmy Carter having to use that word. We now have gas shortages. We're having lines. We have, as of, as of just today, as we're recording this on Wednesday, we've got all over the country gas stations reporting they're out of fuel and runs on gas stations yeah and we have um all kinds of unrest we have well gee something we hadn't really i guess heard about paid much attention to or didn't elevate itself too much for say the last oh i don't know at least four years we now have israel getting rocket bombed almost daily now it started it started on tuesday there was a big announcement that um i think it was hamas who, who took credit for it, but uh, got palestinian liberate could have been any one of those uh, uh, those fringe groups it could have been another state actor oh well, i talked about this with who, somebody this who morning. lobbed over yeah. 170 missiles into israel's airspace and on their land i think it they and Surprisingly enough, Chuck, one of the targets that they hit happened to be the Israeli oil fields, the Israeli gas refineries. Gee, I'm starting to see a pattern forming here. Uh, let's go all the way back. The first thing we heard about things going south was when a mega tanker got itself crossways at the mouth of the Suez Canal. That wasn't a tanker. That was a cargo ship. Was what car it, okay, what you're it, right. It was a cargo ship. I, I'm it, mixing that up because there was a tanker, yeah, but it's that's it, a little bit later. What it did was stop the flow of oil that was coming in through tankers for 11 days. At least 11 days. It, it slowed, if not shut down, the flow. Um, so you had that happen. Then the second thing, you well, okay, let's preclude that. Before the Suez incident, you had... Joe Biden signed an executive order shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline project. That's right. That Shut it down completely. From the shale fields of Canada into the United States of America. Uh-huh. Shut it down. So basically, so that's that that's puzzle piece one. 
Puzzle Piece 2 is the super carrier. Sorry, I said tanker, but you're right. It was, it was a super cargo carrier. Yeah, going crossways in the Suez Canal after going out and creating a weird pattern before it ran in there, like somehow, like maybe the pilot was drunk or something. No, believe it or not, I, I've done some research on that. Yeah. That's a common occurrence. Yeah, it's, they're, they, they're, they're lining have, up. They have to idle. They yeah, and the only way to really idle those things is not to idle is to is to, is to, is to actually do loop de loops and loop yeah, yeah. So so they had to, they have to do that. You're right, but so eleven days of where we have a throttling down of yep. the of the oil supply. Okay, the next thing that happened was over in the South China Sea where a mega tanker mm -hmm. gets hit by another boat just offshore of one of China's major ports that handles oil refining coincidence coinky dinks maybe maybe not fourth major event just happened in the last week the colonial pipeline which runs from the gulf of mexico all the way up to new yep. england got hit with a massive cyber attack russians russians well that's what the left are screaming is that the russians hacked this I don't believe that there's actually any hard evidence uh, that links it to any kind of Russian actor. Could there have been a Russian actor involved? Could have been, yeah. Do I believe that it was more domestic run or maybe from another country? Yeah, I, I believe more of that than I would oh, believe the Russian. That, that Russian thing is a misdirect. There's, oh. there, now, here's the way to look at it. Yep. Who are the largest gas and oil suppliers outside the United States? Okay, that would be, uh, suppliers would be Saudi Arabia, that would be Russia, Iran. that would be Iran, Iraq, and China. Right. So, who benefits if uh, all our pipelines are shut down, Right. and there's a gas shortage, Yeah. where do we normally go to buy gas? Well, you would have to end up going to uh, your closest neighbor, which is Saudi Arabia. Well... Yeah, mostly. We yeah. buy most of our ex internal ex uh, imported gas or oil. Yep, from either Mexico or Venezuela. Well, that's true. We do that. So yeah, but uh, we buy very little. The only gas that comes in here, the only uh, uh, oil that comes in here normally before and this is since the seventies uh, is sh Shell comes from uh, Royal Dutch Shell comes right. from North Sea and um saudis yeah saudi yemen okay. qatar you're, you're right that's you're right. i forgot about the mexican now, but, connect so. but who's most likely to try to disrupt the pipeline uh, the domestic pipeline of america would be anybody who thinks that they can make money off of it if they can reestablish the markets yes from the overseas markets which necessarily cost yeah. more because there's transportation costs Chuck, you know, you're. I love the way you think because when we were just my my middle son, who like, he's like a scanner of. I mean, he's bigger. He's a bigger voluminous scanner of media than I am. <laughs> he's the one who told me because he came across his feeds about the bombing in Israel and about this stuff with the the yeah. pipeline getting hit with a cyber attack. So basically, last night I'm talking to him and his older brother, and I said, "Okay, guys, put on your thinking caps, follow the money." Who benefits most from this? Qui bono. Exactly. And basically, we got it down to Russia and the Saudis Yeah, benefit the most from this. Because you think about it, Russia is okay. Because they have a pipeline running from the Siberian oil fields down into the Middle East. 
Yeah. The Middle East has their own set of oil fi- uh, of pipelines also running. And now the Suez Canal is mostly unblocked. Now they can get all that oil out very easily uh, without having to go all the way around the Horn of Africa in order to get all o- right. get over. It, India is going through a massive supposed COVID outbreak, which I think is actually probably something else, and was probably done by China yeah. because you, you're, they're trying to dis, they're trying to basically shake up the borders. We talked about that. I think yeah. last week. Qui bono? It's China. China benefits from India being knocked out. Of, yes, they do. Out of the box. Absolutely do. Now the reason why I, I would look to I'd look to the Saudis and Russia first is because they're the ones who stand to benefit the most from it, especially natural gas for the Russians. Because if you knock out the pipelines that we've got in the U.S. that we then export to the European nations, and boy, do we ever export natural gas and things to the European oh, nations. Oh, gosh, yes. We're a major exporter of gas. Jeez, and guess which one of the pipelines is one of the main ones to pump that stuff to yeah. the ports in New York and Massachusetts and Virginia mm-hmm. to go to Northern Europe? It would be Colonial. The Colonial Pipeline. Colonial Pipeline. Yep. So that, so would, is there Russian players in that? Most likely, but not directly. My guess is it's Russian players working through either the Saudis or through Venezuela, who would make a lot of sense there because then they could ramp up their and they have to prop up their government. Let's yeah. just be oh, quite honest absolutely. about it. Their government is a socialist nightmare that's basically out of other people's money, unless they can find a new source of other people's money. And gee, knocking the domestic production of the, of the United States offline for now, Colonial is now saying it's going to be about five days five more days oh god so maybe into the weekend maybe into next week before they bring everything back up digitally online now they're still they're manually and um, and i used that term earlier analog working to get it get it reestablished. okay not a which isn't too big of a problem because those are those pipelines have been around forever so they they're not just all like completely locked to digital but what you're having is because of the colonial pipeline which is the biggest see everybody thinks that the alaska pipeline is the biggest pipeline in the u.s nope the colonial is the biggest one 45 percent of the production of oil goes through the colonial pipeline 45 percent. that's a huge amount of oil uh, that that's 45 percent, and basically since it goes all the way up the east coast what's happening right now on the east coast and in the southern states where it goes through Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's starting to worry, and it's just Everybody like it's just like a out. year ago with toilet paper. You couldn't find toilet paper anywhere because everybody got heard that Australia couldn't get a hold of some toilet paper. So all of a sudden, in the country on the face of the planet that produces more toilet paper than any other place on the planet except China, all of a sudden we're we're out of toilet paper. The USA, yeah, because everybody made runs. Guess what everybody's doing right now in many gas stations in many states from Virginia all the way down to the, the deep south? They're making runs on gas stations. You've got reports now of, um, let's see here, I had it here. 7.7% of the nearly 3,900 gas stations in Virginia reported running out of fuel Tuesday. Um, North Carolina, 8.5% of almost 5,400 stations were out. So that's three to 500 stations in, e- in each one of those states. All... Running completely out of, of fuel. Yeah. Okay. So, and of course, now what do we see now? Prices going up. Some places are going to try to gouge. Um, there are a lot of laws in place that will hurt these guys if they try to gouge, but they'll try to do it anyway because, well, that's just how some people operate. 
Interesting thing, because a like big part of this, think about it. If Keystone was still online, yeah, would we have such a pinch? Not as much of a pinch. Nowhere no, near as much nowhere of a near as much as a pinch. So what's Joe Biden deciding to do right now? Okay, it was just announced that the White House, i.e. Biden's administration, is considering temporarily waiving a law that says ships delivering products between U.S. ports must be built and manned by Americans. Uh-huh. Which was issued, I believe, under the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, so what we're basically saying is, is that other state actors, like the Russians, like the Chinese, like the Saudis, like the Venezuelans, are going to be able to get access to our oil ports in the U.S. that they didn't have before. Temporarily. Temporarily. I, I, access I have, to our ports. Okay, I have my two fingers up doing quotes okay. temporarily. Now, that reminds me, there was another kind of situation that happened. Um, this one wasn't necessarily tied to an oil field, but it was tied to an oil port. Remember back a few months ago when a warehouse full of containers of what turned out to be explosives blew up? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Do you remember where that was? It was in Texas, wasn't it? Or where was it? It was in the Middle East. Middle East, that's right. It was in um, Syria? Syria. Yes. Gee, do you start? I, I, folks, Yeah. you're not a conspiracy theorist if they really are out to get you. Uh, all these could be totally coincidental. They're not. But, first of all, I don't believe in coincidence because I believe everything works in God's framing of, of, of what we do. Right. Uh, everything works according to God's plan. I also believe that everything also is directed by his hand directly, but a number of, shall we say, temporal players will try to put things into their own hands. Now, Chuck, one of the things you should start looking at is who in the last six months to a year started buying up oil futures? Oh, uh, uh, I think, was it Buffett? No. Soros? Well, he always is. He's always buying. There, there's, he, somebody, there's, somebody, there's somebody else. He's also been buying up a lot of farmland. Oh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Hmm. Things start to get a little more interesting. Um, now, you know, again... I don't want to necessarily say, yeah, right here, it, that's exactly what's happening. But it makes you have to start perusing things and, and doing the research a little bit more carefully about, okay, well, if X, Y, and Z are happening, are they all happening independently of each other? Or is there a pattern starting to form? And, well, I think we're starting to see a pattern starting to form. Um, the very first thing is, is that, we're going back to the 70s style where we're going to have, you know, if your last name begins with X, you can go get gas on this day. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, bully. Rationing. Sa sadly. Gas rationing. 10-gallon limits. Which, um, when we have a gas shortage, Chuck, what does that make more expensive? Gasoline. Which then... And it makes everything okay, more expensive. Okay, which then, which then leads to certain things being more like the cost of being able to take a shall we say, a truck from point A, like a produce warehouse, to points B, C, D, and Absolutely. E, which would be your Walmarts and your Kroger's and your Save-A-Lots and your uh, Giant Eagles. From the warehouse point to the distribution point. 
Yep. It's going to cost. It's going to cost more money. Well, do the do these big box retailers eat that money, Chuck? Is that is that their you know civic duty, or do they pass it right along to the consumer? All right. Here's here's a headline I I'm looking at right now along that line. Yep. Consumer prices see largest yearly jump since 2008 as evidence of inflation mounts. Yep. Guess what? We're inflation is being spurred in this country by a number of things. One of the key things is the fact that a we're throwing billions, trillions of dollars into the mix in the form of stimulus in order to encourage spending. Well, Chuck, you've taken economics, right? You've taken a base, basic economics course, right? More or less, yeah. You've studied some. Maybe yeah, you were too busy doing your bi- your uh, bioengineering to worry about economics. But there's a little graph. It's called a supply and demand supply curve. Supply and demand curve. Okay. Curve, yeah. Okay. So what happens when you have, let's say demand is at X level, and then all of a sudden a third party hands you $50,000 to play with, let's say. Does your demand for products and things go up because you have more money to spend? Generally, yes. So when you start demanding more, you go, okay, I want to go buy that new car or I want to go do that home improvement or I'm going to go buy something frivolous. Who knows? I, I just saw like one of the stimulus plans that what was a PPP program yeah somebody gamed it and they got like five and a half million dollars out of it and they bought lamborghinis there was a pastor that bought himself 45 cars with the pp ppe yeah program with the ppp uh, yeah uh, uh, paycheck yeah. protection plan yeah, yeah. ppp ppp not to be confused with uh, ppe personal protective equipment, personal p- protection which equipment, which yeah. the shortage of that was the excuse for doing the PPP. But you know, well, we won't go there. There's another dimension to what you're saying. Okay. Since these pipelines are closed and yes. they and they do carry natural gas. Yes, they do. What do we make with natural gas? What is the, the highest use of natural gas in this country? Home heating. Uh-uh. No? Okay. Electricity production. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, there you go. Which which can be home heating and cooling because a lot of you are on electric. You don't realize that it's actually run but by gas. The fact is that we have shut down... Uh, thanks to Barack Obama, mm-hmm. one of the alternatives was coal. Yes. And uh, I know everybody's going to be, it pollutes, it pollutes. Guess what? They have the technology now because I have a friend who worked on it. Zero emission coal plants. Sure. Absolutely. Scrubbers and Scrubbers and, and all that stuff. That the It doesn't even put out CO2. They recapture the CO2 and convert it to uh, essentially to plastic. That's excellent. Um you can't get a permit to build one. Of course not. Because the Obama administration, we don't care how clean you can make it. We want. It we gone. don't want coal. Which is the same thing Joe Biden said on the campaign trail, but all of a sudden you've got big coal-producing states like Pennsylvania and others who voted for him in overwhelming numbers. Really? No, they didn't. Really? Uh, yeah, no, they didn't. Of course. Uh, uh, now, you did hear the Arizona Senate has now shut down part of the uh, recount uh, review because they don't like the uh, the federal justice department came in and told them well we don't like the idea of you sending out teams to go check to see if a voter actually voted or not but when you get a funky looking voting record or a ballot yeah. that you want to check oh you can't do that well here's what i would do if i were the arizona senate They've already done it. They, I, they balked they balked yeah of course they, they did they, because they rolled right over that's the problem 
too many rhinos. Well, it's, well, listen, our legislature in Ohio is full of these guys. They would chicken out in a New York minute. Yeah, you're right. They would. They already have. I mean, look at We could have had an end to this stupid emergency order mandate stuff in Ohio last fall had not certain players yeah, in the exactly. game decided that, A, they didn't want to violate Reagan's 11th commandment about saying anything bad about a fellow Republican, and B, they knew that fellow Republican held the keys to them possibly getting uh, a, an appointment somewhere. An appointment in, to a, to an appointed position rather than an elective position. Right. And the fact is, they live for that. Yes. This is part of the problem we've created for ourselves. The the system that the founders set up for us at an, at the national level was based on what there was at the state level. You didn't have bureaucracy at the state level or the federal level. Mm-hmm. Now, you had appointed offices, like cabinet positions. But the president kept them in check because he was an elected representative. So he could go to his cabinet people and say, you can't do that. Yep. I'm ordering, I, I'm giving you an executive order, which is what the executive order was to cease and desist doing that and do what the your constitutional duty is. And that is to uh, um, fulfill the law. Now, what we've got going now is everybody wants a judgeship. Everybody wants to be appointed as secretary of this or that or another thing. Everybody yeah, wants true. to be on a board. Um, or or uh, some of the fellow travelers that go along with government um some of the uh, uh business boards and uh for instance the chamber of commerce things and um uh big money raisers that actually go into party coffers yep we just watched that happen here we we have a guy in congress here uh Troy Balderson who basically is a puppet of his previous uh his predecessor uh Pat Tberry Who's off raising money uh, at uh, can't remember the name of the the Ohio Business Round Ohio Table. Business Roundtable. That essentially uh, Troy Balderson, who is an empty suit, is out doing the behest of whatever the Republican Party wants him to do, whatever leadership wants him to do, he does. Um, and um, this is the problem we have. These guys. Uh, um, they control things. They like controlling things from positions uh, where they get plenty of money and don't have to face the voters. Why do you think that John Boehner? Oh, yeah, yeah. Crying Johnny. Uh, crying Johnny uh, gets to snipe at conservatives now. Yeah, before, he before he had to be a little bit conciliatory, he, what he basically did was very quietly kept them out of leadership. And very quietly wouldn't schedule their bills for votes and put and send them to committees where he knew he could kill it off. Mm -hmm. and, and that was to appease uh, re conservatives in the party. Now he opens, comes out and openly snipes at them. Where does he work? K Street. And what do I mean by K Street? He's in a lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. That's, that's the general term. It's a synecdoche for lobbying firms k street and he's got more money than Croesus, and he can he can do all the damage that he can do and nobody knows he's doing it except that they, they always go to him when they need a, re, a reliable republican to come out and disparage 
he hated Trump. Yep. Just like a lot of these people still in Congress, Liz Cheney, as we talked about, lost her job today as 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 a uh, uh, leadership chair, uh, head of the caucus, uh, uh, the female head of the caucus. They always have two chairs, with a male and a female, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and, yeah. So yeah, they voted Liz Cheney out today. They love, but but they they're going to replace her with uh, Elise Stefanik. Elise Stefanik from New York, who has a worse voting record. Yeah, I mean, she was pro-Trump, but she still didn't vote for a lot of Trump's That's initiatives. Right. Liz Cheney actually voted with Trump more than more than Stefanik did. But that's the ugly fact. But but Liz Cheney came out and she was all about impeachment. Why? We have to destroy the wing of the party that does not believe in globalism. Yep. That's been these guys' mantra all along. Don't kid yourself that Kevin McCarthy has suddenly become your ally. No. No, he wants your vote. So he knows he's. this is orchestrated. Like a lot of this other stuff that's going on, it's orchestrated for a specific purpose. That's so, uh, and I've already seen it in the blogs. Wow, Kevin McCarthy's really coming around. No, he is not. No, not even close. He's playing the game. He wants your support. Of course. He doesn't want to hear a bunch of nonsense from you that, you know, and he knows that you don't know what Elise Stefanik's uh, record is. Record is, that's right. You are completely unaware, mostly, and and most people are. Most people didn't even know who Elise Stefanik was or where she's from or why she's there. But, you know, you get down to a point where, hey, stop replacing the bad cog with another poorly made cog you know the machine they want to keep the machine operating but they don't care that the cogs really are the same stupid thing you know you've got liz cheney who's well she's never trumper um and she was just continuing to mouth off and make noise even after trump's gone and they got tired of it you know and stefanik at least is not going to be considered a never trumper but the voting pattern doesn't change, and the push for money won't change, and the push for marginalizing all the social issues to the to the to the hinterlands because well that's divisive, and we need to be able to be an inclusive party and raise money. And I believe you even mentioned I think you looked up some of her record. Lee Stefanik was even in favor of the uh, Equality Act. Equality Act, the, 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 basically the the Fairness Act, which is the LGBT push. So you know. That's what you gotta you gotta think about here. So uh it's a big problem. And that problem's not gonna change until we have different leadership that's doing different things. Now, I find it very interesting, Chuck, because Ohio, we're kind of in this really weird nexus right now. Because yeah. and it's not horribly completely, you know, out of the ordinary, but it is a little out of the ordinary because we have right now in Ohio two different federal seats that are up for grabs. Um, obviously, Rob Portman, the sitting U.S. senator, announced that he wasn't going to seek another term. He's, he wants to leave the Senate at the end of next year when his term is up. Uh, and he's not said he's going to leave early, although you and I both know, and I think I've said this on the program before, said it, yeah. there, is a basic, there is some kind of a scenario where he would definitely leave early and do it willingly. Um but that's created an opening for, we've got a lot of people running for the United States Senate seat. 
in Ohio right now. Whereas normally, you know, Portman would have run, he might have gotten a couple of token oppositions from people who don't like his policies and probably wouldn't have gotten very far. Now it's an open field on the Republican side. And it was kind of an open field on the Democratic side, but it just closed up with a big snap here just uh, just a, like recently. Um, and I'll explain that in a minute. But we have at least a half a dozen people running on the Republican side of the ticket for the U.S. Senate. Uh, Josh Mandel and Jane Temkin were the first two jumping in. Then you've got Bernie Marino, who's a businessman from Cleveland who likes to think that you know, he's got Trump in his back pocket or something. You've got uh, Mike Gibbons, who's also another multimillionaire businessman from Cleveland. Uh, and Mike does have something in his back pocket right now. Because just yesterday, U.S. Senator Rand Paul endorsed him for the seat. Oh, gosh. Very interesting thought, because a lot of the libertarian-slash-Trump-type conservatives like Rand Paul a lot. A lot. Now, whether Mike Gibbons is going to equal out to being a Rand Paul-type in Congress, I in the U.S. Senate, I doubt seriously, but you never know. Um, but I find it interesting that it, it, with the choices that he had available, he jumped on the Gibbons bandwagon. So, very interesting. I think that's a feather in Mike Gibbons' hat. Uh, among a lot of different groups and people that are th looking at it. And, of course, you've got other people like Mike Turner, who's a congressman from Dayton, who's on a listening tour. I love these guys. I'm too nervous to just jump in because... A listening But tour. I'm just trying to see if I can't... if I, I, I can put waves out there that I'm thinking about it. Maybe then the leadership will come to me and bargain me out of it so I can get something for myself. And we're going into redistricting. I've said this before. I think Turner's only making these noises because he's trying to get a favorable look at his district to get it to get the lines reshaped during the redistricting. You know, bully for him. He's figured out how to, he's figuring he's figuring out how to play that game. It's politics. It's right. politics. There's other people playing that same game too. So it's yep. not a it's not not too horrible. Um, you also have, um, you know, author of Hillbilly Elegies, J.D. Vance, who's oh my looking at, well, he's hired people because they've reached out to me because he's wanting to court social conservatives. And, well, I, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn, but oftentimes when they want to court the pro-life and the pro-family movement, I get, my phone starts buzzing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, they look at me as the, like a, a, um, networker to that. Well, you're, you're one of the key players. I don't, I, I don't see that, but okay. Uh, and and honestly, though, they should not waste their time because I'm one of these type of players that I'm not like an open book where I'm just like, oh, yeah, everybody come and take a talk of these. I'm looking at these people ahead of time saying, no, I don't think you're really I'm not even going to waste my time on you. So sometimes I don't even return the phone calls. Yeah, because it's like, why bother? Um, and some of these people, I mean, they're probably nice people. You know, they're probably, you know, in their heart, they think they, they're jumping in for the right reasons. Everybody does, Chuck. I mean, let's not yeah. kid ourselves. Nobody really starts in politics unless they're, A, encouraged by somebody else with the, oh, you know, you'd make a great X, Y, and Z, and we'll get a bunch of people behind you, and we really need you. And they kind of get that feel. Or they feel like, oh, well, something's wrong, and, I, you know, somebody's got to fix it, and I've been waiting, and nobody's been, nobody's been jumping in to fix it. I guess i got to get in. Very few people jump jump into politics saying, you know what, I think I want to make a career out of being a politician. Just some of them end up doing that. Right. Well, it's the toxic waters of the Potomac in Washington and the toxic waters of the Olentangy in, in Ohio. That's yeah. in Columbus, yeah. 
But so you know, you've got all these guys, and I'm sure they've all got good reasons for wanting to do all these things. You know, not to mention the paycheck and the prestige and the power. Uh, which honestly, all three things. If it starts with a P, you're probably going to lose it ultimately. Your power, your prestige, your paycheck can all go away with the vote of a voter. And sadly, your principles and your positions can all get changed by the influence when you get to DC. So it's almost like you've got the, you've got the trade off of the P's. If you want the power of the position and the paycheck, you got to trade off your principles and your positions. And that's usually what happens. That's what happens. It's a trade off. Um, very few people go to Congress and hold on to their principles and their positions in the same fashion in which they went in. Some guys, like a Rand Paul, like maybe a Jim Jordan, a very small Thomas Massey, a very small handful of these guys weather the storms, take the brickbats, keep having somebody pull the knives out of their backs, and they keep going on with what they believe is right. And oftentimes they get rewarded. I mean, you look at it this way, Rand Paul's probably not going to lose a race in Kentucky for a long time. It'll be a while. Jim Jordan is probably can stay in Congress for as long as he feels like uh, in his district. The he, only way they can do it is to gerrymander him out. And, you know, he's he's in a position right now where they really can't, you know, and they really don't want to either because two of the members of the um, board that rewrites the districts are... Senate President Matt Huffman and House Speaker Bob Cup, who, gee, both live in Lima, which is part of Jim Jordan's congressional yep, district. Yep. And neither one of them is going to try to redraw the districts to make it less Republican if they think they've got a chance of going to Congress someday soon. He's safe. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lock. It's he's safe. So, But most of these guys, though, they'll say a good game on the stump, and then when they get to D.C., there's an old adage in, a poli in political schools that I work with that says when your friends get in a position to help you, they stop being your friends. In other words, when they either when they went off, it can happen quick. When they went off, as they get to D.C. or to Columbus, and they get the star treatment, they get their heads turned, and all the lobbyists are stroking them, and they all of a sudden think that they're like in with the in crowd, and then they forget you back home. Well, yeah. Or they, well, I promised you that, but you don't understand how things work. When a politician starts telling you as a voter and as a supporter, you don't understand how things work, you understand it fully well. You've understood that he's basically abandoned his principles in order to play the game. Because when he starts apologizing for his upstream, He's wanting to go up that stream. Yeah. He's not fighting against that stream. He's trying to get in that stream as, as much as he can get in so he can swim right on up. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with a lot of, of politics. They come, oh, you know, we need to fix this, and this is in our area is poor, blah, but we need to do this to get us in there, and all of a sudden they're going to the, you know, $200 steak dinners at Morton's and... You know they're ha they're holding their fundraisers at the DoubleTree, where you know they're already get they've already been written five or six thousand dollars in checks from like the big money yeah. lobbies, and and you know and they're and they're staying and they and they end up staying in Columbus. They get an apartment, 
or a hotel. They stay in Columbus four and five days a week, and they're they're home on the weekends or whatever. Or they'll come back in if there's some big event going on, but only to come and tell you how you know how hard it is up there. And yeah, how much? And yeah, we just maybe can't get everything we need to get right away, but you know, someday we'll get that. You start hearing that stuff, you know, your guys has been turned. Okay, just rule of thumb, they've been turned. Um, and then they're no good. They're no good to you anymore. That's my problem with some of these guys. I mean, yeah, Rand Paul's endorsing Mike Gibbons, but after if Mike Gibbons gets in five minutes after he gets in there, is he going to become a staunch libertarian conservative no vote like Rand Paul is, or is he going to try to find a way to navigate so that he can make everybody happy? When they start wanting to make everybody happy. They're lost. Yeah. Okay, they're lost. You can't make everybody happy. You can't happy. make everybody happy, and you, you certainly not yourself, okay? Um, but that's kind of where I'm feeling that. So you got all these players running this game. Well, we've also got, as I mentioned, you know, Ohio's kind of got a unique thing. we got two of them coming right now because Congressman Steve Stivers in the 15th Congressional District announced he was leaving this month in order to go run the Chamber of Commerce in Ohio. Which yeah, you know, that's a that's a that's a cush gig. He's going to make lots of money. Same thing I just said about yeah. You know, leave le- you you leave your elected office and, and run lobbying. Run yeah, lobbying. Run the lobbying. That's the way it works. But that's opened up the door for a special election, which the governor has now called. It's going to be August, I think, the fifteenth, with the general election being on General Election Day in, in early November. I think it's the second of November. Um. And that's opened the door. There's probably at least seven different candidates involved in this race, okay? Now, this district stretches from over in the western part of the state around Fayette County and, and Madison County, comes around in a backward sea and picks oh. up, like, Pickaway, parts that's of Licking, right. parts of Franklin County, but not the city of Columbus, comes back up around and picks up parts of, I think it skips Delaware County entirely and goes up and, like, gets Morrow or something like that. I, it's a weird, weird-shaped district, Okay. It, it, gerrymandered. Okay, right. let's just be honest with it. It was gerrymandered in order to get Stivers in there because Stivers was from Columbus and they really couldn't carve up the city of Columbus and expect a Republican to get in the seat. So they carved it up for him to you know get back right. to seat. Well, now he's stepping out. You've got a bunch of people running, and let me see. I'll go down the list of the ones who've announced specifically that they're running. Okay, you have State Senator Bob Peterson from Fayette County. You have State Senator Stephanie Coonsey from Columbus. You have State Representative Jeff LeRae from uh, Fairfield County in Lancaster. You have Count Fairfield County Commissioner Jeff Fix. You have State Representative Brian Stewart from Pickaway County. Ruth Edmonds, who was the Church Relations Director at Center for Christian Virtue, where I'm, I do a lot of lobbying, has left there in order to jump in to run in the race as well. Okay, She's in Franklin County. And those are the, and we also know of a couple who may be jumping in, um, Senator Tim Schaefer from Lancaster, but then that's three people coming out of Fairfield County. That, so it's going to be interesting to see that, how that's breaking down. And then the other person who is in and they will be filing, and I'm announcing it now because the filing deadline will be on Monday when you hear this on Saturday. So it's all in. Yeah. Is former state representative Ron Hood of Asheville in Pickaway oh, County. Ron is into this race, and Ron, his professional life, he's a professional fundraiser. So he can raise the money. He's got the name ID in a large portion of the district. Uh, and I, you know, with I'm going to be completely transparent. 
I'm like a kitchen cabinet advisor for Ron on this race. Okay. I think Ron's got a fantastic opportunity, but we're, you know, we're, we're under no delusions, Chuck. Ron wins his primary in August. They get the numbers in September for redrawing the districts. Which district do you think they'll try to carve up to get rid of? Oh, yeah, it'll the be the 15th Ron, Congressional be District Ron's because district, we have to lose yeah. a district. So they'll try to carve up his district if he gets in. Now, honestly, they'll try to do that on a number of other of these people, too. Probably Bob Peterson could count it, count it goodbye. Uh, the commissioner can count it goodbye. Ruth Edmonds can count it goodbye. Um, probably the only two or three people who have an absolute shot of being able to keep a, a semblance of the district so that they can actually run, you know, have a district to run in at, in next year is going to be Stephanie Coonsy, who's backed by pretty much the Columbus lobbying crew because she's more Democrat than she is Republican, and that's what they like. Um, state Rep. Jeff LeRae and State Rep. Brian Stewart because those guys are all part of the inner 270 beltway now. Yeah, right. Steve Stivers, the for- who's going to be former congressman here next week, is going to endorse somebody in the race. I don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise. It's probably going to be one of those three. Coonsie, LeRae, or Stewart, you know? More than likely. More than likely, it's going to be one of those three people. That's okay, you know? No big deal. Again, this is a sprint, because here we are in May, and it's three months from now. So three months, we're going to have a special election in Ohio, only in the 15th Congressional District, not statewide, but only in that district, in order to pick a nominee to run for the seat. So, interestingly enough, on the Democrat side... Uh, there were a couple people who filed, one whose name I don't even remember, which kind of tells you something. The other person <laughs> who, who honestly, if the district gets redrawn in a certain way, might be able to hold the seat. But if the district stays the way it is or gets drawn more conservatively, has no chance at all. But I'm okay with that is State Representative Allison Russo from Upper Arlington, who is probably one of the most liberal of the liberals in the state house uh she has a master's in public health and basically likes to let everybody know about it as many times as she can possibly say it and is basically the biggest pro-abort pro-lgbt anti your freedoms of almost anybody there in the state house so that's who's going to be running on the Democrat side. Who's going to? And honestly, Russo's going to. She's going to have the Columbus lobbying money. Upper she's Arlington. going to. She's going to win the special primary because the, Dem- the other Democrat who's filed nobody knows at all. Um, and so it's a, that's a, that's that's just not even a, that's not even a joke. And of course, everybody's running for this. Who are sitting members like the Coonsies, the Petersons, the Larays, the Stewarts, and the Russos of the world because this is a free shot. Sure. You're in the middle of your term. You're serving right now. You don't have to leave office to run for this, and you don't have to make the decision of whether right. or not of which seat to pick because it's the off year. You can run to try to get a congressional seat and then try to defend the lines, you know, with the redistricting commission to keep it. And you can still if if it, even if you win and they start redrawing the lines, you can jump back and run again for your house or your senate seat. Well, with the exception of Peterson who's termed out. He could run for a house seat, though. So everybody's got options. Every one of the sitting elected officials who are running for this congressional primary all have options. And that would include Schaefer if he does get in. 
Um, the, the only people who, you know, frankly, it's one, it's they're only running for this seat and nothing else would be, um, well, I, I can't even say so. Jeff Fix, who's the county commissioner, he, I don't believe his term's up this year. He can run for this congressional seat, and then if he loses, he's still county commissioner. He'll run for his commission seat again. So the only two people right now who have any, you know, whose skin is all in on this one is Hood, because he's a former member. He, right. he, he left at the end of last year with term limits, and Ruth Edmonds, uh, who's uh, in Franklin County. They're the only two who, frankly, if they win the seat, that's they've won that seat. It isn't they've won the seat, and now, okay, I'm looking to see, okay, do I keep it? Do I let them redraw it and jump back to the seat that I had before and just run for it? Because think about it, pretty much every one of those people, this is a way for them to get, I won't say free, early advertising for their name ID if they choose to continue to run for no, the other yeah, seat or, or they want to switch, like if they're at the end of a term like Peterson is or something where they want to switch to go from the Senate to the House, House to Senate. They've already they'll have their name on the ballot at least one two times before they go to the primary in twenty two to have their name on the ballot. That's valuable. Yeah, it is. That's incredibly valuable for a politician to be able to have lots and lots of name ID on the ballot. Again, situation going to be interesting. I'm going to see how it happens. Uh, you know who's going to come out in in the U.S. Senate race now. I would say that probably right now, Rand Paul's endorsement of Mike Gibbons means that there's no way that uh, that um, uh, Rob Portman will step down early if Gibbons happens to be the guy who's leading or is looking like he's going to win the primary. Uh, because I don't think there's a whole lot of love lost between Rand Paul and Rob Portman on too many things in in the U.S. Senate. Um, no, I do since, believe, since I do Rob believe, and, and if and if Josh Mandel happens to be leading strongly by the time they get to filing deadline. That's the scenario that I see Rob Portman stepping out. If Mandel is ahead, maybe maybe if Gibbons is ahead, maybe not. If maybe if Marino's ahead, although Marino's tying himself tightly to Trump, and we all know how much Rob Portman loved Donald Trump, I say facetiously. I don't see I see Portman serving till the end of his term when all scenarios except to help Jane. So if she wins the primary, he's gone. He'll he'll leave early so she can take the seat early so she can fend off the Democrat who might be running for that seat. Uh-huh. Which right now it's still up in the air as to which day. Oh no, I take it Tim Ryan from up in northeast of far northeast Ohio, yeah. sitting congressman has announced he's running for the Senate seat. There'll be more Democrats jumping in on that. Trust me, Tim they're not going to hand it to Tim Ryan. Um so we've got an interesting scenario in Ohio. Um it's going to be an interesting summer. We're going to have, a, especially in this area, where we have um, a congressional race going on on an off year. You know, this is the year where basically there's very little on your ballot. Maybe, maybe a dog catcher and a couple of local ballot initiatives and some, you know, off year board races. The one thing we know will not be on the ballot in the fall is something we thought was going to be on the ballot, except that the Ohio Senate decided to take a punt. There was going to be a, an initiative to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot to modify the redistricting constitutional amendment that the voters passed about eight years ago oh, that, on the ballot that has now created. Now they're really starting to realize how bad this is. And I was listening 
Although I don't think they realized who I was as they were talking. These were Democrats talking to each other, basically saying full well, well, we're going to see four-year maps here real soon because they already know they're going to vote. They're going to vote to override whatever the redistricting commission comes up with. The minority party gets a one-vote veto on any map that gets drawn. That's how that initiative was written. They're already talking about it amongst themselves that, oh, we're going to four-year maps. That means the fix is in. They already knew that unless they controlled the map drawing, which if they did, if the Democrats controlled it, i.e., if they were in in the majority, we would already have changes to the constitutional amendment to get rid of that minority uh, veto power. And I mean, I don't, and I, folks, when I say minority, I'm talking minority, part, party. minority yeah. party, not minorities. I'm not talking about Asian Americans, African Americans, right. Hispanic Americans getting a veto. I'm talking about the Democrat Party because they're sitting in the minority in yeah. the legislature, getting a one. So they'll basically be of a, I think, of a seven member panel. You got three, the three statewide offices, which are all Republicans. You have the House Speaker and the the Senate President, which right now are both Republicans. And then you have the minority leaders of both the House and the Senate. That's kind of how the line gets drawn. Either one of those minority leaders can then say when they bring the maps, oh, I don't like that, and issue a single pocket. They can veto it. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that they will not get a 10-year map. And so by this constitutional amendment, they have to go to four-year maps. So basically... They, they would probably stay with the same boundary lines, especially now that we're not getting the data until sep- the end of September when we should have had it last month. They'll stay with the same boundary lines, except for the fact that we got a problem. Ohio's losing a congressional seat because of the census numbers. We have to eliminate a congressional seat, which means they're going to have to redraw those. Who do you think they're going to have to redraw to benefit? Democrats. Yeah. Which means that's the reason why Alison Russo is jumping into the 15th Congressional. She thinks the redistricting is going to change that boundaries to bring it more into a what we call an e- a even district, a 50-50 district, or with a slight Democrat edge so that she could win the, win the congressional district. But they're going to have to lose one. So that means they have to shift boundaries. More There'll be more actual physical numbers in each district. Not by much, because we lost population enough to lose a district. So you're going to shift the numbers around a little bit. Actually, no, there's going to be fewer numbers. I take that back. There's fewer numbers in each district because they have to shift the districts around to encompass what was the 15th. No, I'm right. It was. I'm having trouble with math today. That's okay. It's okay, man. The, the numbers are going to be slightly larger. Right now, a congressional district is approximately... 600,000? 600,000. Well, it's a little, a little bit more. 630,000. Well, they got to divvy that up because Ohio lost some population. Right. But that's still going to make the districts, once you take, let's say, put that 630,000 in 14 districts, you're still looking at about 40,000 per district more people have yeah. to go into those other districts. Yep. So you're looking at 675,000 per 15, for 50, or excuse me, 14 districts. There are places that have almost three-quarters of a million people in a congressional district. You're right, and they definitely will be closer to that right now. So you don't, we don't know yet which one they're going to like completely eliminate and then reshuffle. Some people think it's easier to do something like up in the Cleveland area or maybe in, get rid of Marcy Captor's district 
and then just pull the sections into the districts that are left and then bleed off part of counties on the lower ends into the other districts and just do that kind of a shift there. That's not usually how they draw maps, though. They start with the one that they want to protect the most, draw it. Yeah, there's a list. Then, Yeah, there's yeah. a list. They draw it, and then they, then they figure out the contiguous shapes of everybody else. Yeah, that's how we got that backward C. District. That's how you got that backward C with Stivers. Yeah, exactly. So, again, guys, the reason why, let's do the time warp again. We've been down this road before. We're doing it again. We've been down the road of gas shortages before. We've been down the road of hyperinflation before. We've been down the road of malaise before. We've been down the road, and I'm going to say it, Chuck, and I may sound like a homer, every time we've had a Democrat in the White House. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Folks, gas prices go up. Jimmy Carter went way up. They came down somewhat under Reagan. We got into Bill Clinton. Gas prices went back up again. We so we had all this stuff going on in the Middle East. Then well, then Bush came in. Didn't change it much because I think he was honestly. I think that administration was a joke. Um, Barack Obama comes in, and all of a sudden we're big friends with the Middle East, and we're handing you know what was it ten hundred. Ten billion dollars in cash to Iran. Yeah, we uh, and and the excuse was, well, a court ordered us to do it. Yeah, right. That yeah. court order was like twelve years old, and everybody, all the presidents before him had said, "You're not getting that money." And, and the last time we saw gas prices in early May being over three dollars a gallon was during the Obama administration. administration, because during the Trump administration, you turned the clock back a year ago, Chuck. Yeah. Gas prices were under a buck and a half a gallon in some places. The lowest I saw it was, it was like one eighty seven or something like that. One seventy one seventy nine, I think, is where I saw it the lowest. But again, those vary by, by region a little bit. Right. But there were some places where it was actually even lower than that. But the average was about one eighty five. The average right now is three oh two a year later. Oh, it's going to go up from that because because of what we started with. Well, we started with with the oil it's shortages be, and we, the hyperinflation. If we don't go over four bucks a gallon, I'll be shocked before the end of summer. Before the end of summer, oh, I would be too. Um, so, folks, just hang tight. If you've got if you got stimulus money, I'll hold on to it. You probably are going to need it just for your basic living because hey, we're already hearing from our electric company. They're raising rates starting next month. They have to because there's a gas shortage. Well, it isn't just so much that. It was that plus the Texas um, ice storms plus yeah. uh, plus 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 Biden administration executive orders, uh, regulations starting to creep back up in there. Um, you remember Trump's uh, policy? You had to eliminate two regulations for every one you knew when you pass. Yeah. Uh, we're not seeing that out of the Biden administration. Yep. That's true. Regulate, 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 baby. Yeah, that's true. Turn them loose. Okay, just I know we're getting close to the end, but there was one more thing. Is They may have made themselves a little bit easier. There might be a congressional district they can get rid of, and nobody's going to have a problem with it. And that would be the congressional district that's right now up in the Medina, Akron area, Anthony Gonzalez, who last Friday the Ohio Republican Party voted not only to censure but to request that he resign from Congress because of his voting for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Yeah. Finally, after Jane Timken leaves and we get someone who actually ran Trump's campaign in Ohio, Bob Paduchik, in as the party chairman, all of a sudden they found the gumption to vote against the sitting congressman and ask him to resign for 
being disloyal to the president of the United States. Okay. Very very interesting thing. Very, very interesting. And and everybody will take that different ways. But you know what? Think about it, though, because that may have been the get-out-of-jail-free card for the redistricting commission to basically cut a district. That's right. All right. That being said, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And please join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.